Hello, and welcome to episode eight of season 10. In this episode, I have two American design professionals. Both are incredibly passionate about sustainability and creating a home that supports your health and well-being and the planet as well. And they both have a wealth of knowledge and advice to share with you wherever you're building or renovating. Kate Hamblett of Balanced Architecture and Carl Markt of Markt Architecture. They're both awesome in this interview and they're generously giving loads of tips and strategies to help you create a sustainable, healthy home. I can't wait to introduce them to you, so let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, first up, we have Kate Hamblett on the podcast. So Kate is the owner and architect at Balanced Architecture, and she's a licensed architect and sustainability expert. Balanced Architecture is a residential design studio that puts wellness and sustainability at the heart of every project. As a wellness architect, she designs fresh, modern structures and spaces that nourish the body, the mind and the earth. Her mission is to guide people to make their home environment as healthy as possible and to turn their homes from an unwelcoming environment to a healthful retreat. Kate is also the founder of Balanced Home, Balanced Life, and this is an online resource that helps and teaches homeowners how to create healthy homes of their own that support their well-being and lifestyles in a, in a sustainable way. With well over a decade of architectural design experience, Kate has the expertise to guide families toward the creation of a home they will fall in love with, all while keeping them safe and encouraging a healthy lifestyle. She has the passion to improve others' lives in the same way her own was improved when she created her own healthy home. Kate's also provided a special resource for the Undercover Architect community to access online. So I'll share the link to that after our interview and you'll hear Kate mention it as well. So let's dive into that interview now. Well, Kate, thank you so much for being here. It's so lovely to have you uh, speaking to the UA community. I have followed your um, website uh, for some time now and listened to you on podcasts and things like that. You're this wealth of information when it comes to designing healthy homes and at homes that just generally support our wellness and our, our well-being. And, and so I'm really excited to be sharing you with the UA community. Can you tell me a bit about how you define a healthy home? Sure. So I know for um, most people when they hear healthy home, they think of healthy indoor air and healthy water quality. And for a healthy home, that is a majorly important first step, but that is just one step of a healthy home. To me, it is about creating an optimal living experience. So when I work with families, I am creating a house that enhances their health, their happiness, and their longevity. It's taking into account the air quality, water quality, also looking at lighting and making sure that's aligned with their circadian rhythms. Uh, even goes into nutrition and movement. And you can actually design a house that will encourage you to move more and to eat healthier foods and just have a better relationship with foods. Um, and also how you're, um, you know, how you're experiencing your home and if it's making you stressful, if it's making you calm, all of that factors into a healthy home and of course safety as well. So making sure you're safe in your home is, is also a big part of it. So yeah, it's a whole big package and 
uh, there are a lot of elements to it, and uh, we just work through all of them to make sure we're creating a truly healthy home. Yeah, I think this is where there's a really amazing point of difference in what you do, and I think your skills as an architect really come to the fore in how you can holistically do this in the design of the home because a lot of – I find that, you know, there's a whole industry of, of people in Australia called building biologists who will talk a lot about the material selection and those types of things to manage indoor air quality um, and uh, that general sort of allergy, I suppose, proofing of a home and, and improving all of those types of things. But what I really loved about what I've been learning from you is these things about how do you design a kitchen so you can enjoy cooking and it actually create. A, a, a nutritional meal for your family and it not be a stressful activity. Can you talk a little bit more, perhaps using a couple of examples about how you think about that whole approach? You mentioned a few things, you know, just in passing, but I think um, to really understand that it's not just about what you're applying to the spaces, but how you're actually designing the spaces themselves and potentially positioning them for light and those types of things. How Can you just talk a bit more about that in terms of how you go about that? Sure. So yeah, it definitely starts with the very beginning, the you know, the first, the beginning of the de- design process where you're looking at where you're placing your home on your site because so much of it, uh, like you mentioned, is about lighting. So you want to make sure like your bedrooms are facing east. So you're waking up with the sun, you're getting that sunlight that your body needs to to properly align your circadian rhythms. You're looking at where your living room is placed. So you're getting the right lighting throughout the day and the evening in your, li- in your living room. So that initial placement on the site and I know you've talked about this as well just the orientation is so important it's important for any house you do but it's really you go a step further when you're looking at it from a wellness perspective and how you're setting up rooms to align with your the the lighting and just your movement through the house Um, also just uh, with movement through the house how you're interacting with your spaces so you're not um, you're not walking into basically a frustrating house, a house that's causing you stress. Um, you know, you're thinking about rooms, the connections of rooms, you know, when it comes to creating movement in your space and trying to get you to work out more, you're thinking about where you're placing your, the, your fitness area or your meditation space or whatever it is that, um, your yoga space, whatever it's going to get you, your body moving, you're putting that in a place where you're going to see it every day and you don't stick it in your basement because you never walk by your basement. So those, those things that you are doing right at the beginning of the design process are so important for creating this fully healthy home and like a you know again a lot of it comes with layout at the very beginning so your kitchen layout um how you're designing your kitchen so that you're easily moving through it and that it it's a even if it's not a big kitchen it there's enough room for multiple people to be working in there together so you're creating this uh, family aspect of creating healthy foods together so the layout's really important there um yeah it's just uh a lot of a lot of consideration on the actual layout of the spaces and the way you're going to move through your home, the way it's organized. And uh, then you go from there looking at materials and other aspects of the construction of it. But yeah, so that's, that's a good start. Yeah. I think that that notion of 
this is actually what facilitates your lifestyle, like the the choices that you make in how those rooms are arranged, how they're connected to each other, like that idea of, you know, where are you going to exercise or where are you going to meditate every day and where are you going to put it so it doesn't get forgotten about, but it can seamlessly sort of integrate into your daily lifestyle and not be this, you know, thing that you have to know that the kids are in front of the television and or whatever for you to be able to escape and go and do it. How, uh, you know, and I think too that like there's this, I know that when homeowners get homes right, they actually they incorporate their core values about who they are as families and what's important to them in the way that the house is set up, you know, so that thing of like, you know, there are families who cooking's a really big kind of shared family activity. So the way that the kitchen is designed supports and facilitates that. And, you know, other families where being outdoors is a really big part of their life. So that the the design of the home, you know, when, when you get it right, the home's actually promoting and supporting you being able to live according to your core values and the way that you function as a family. So I think that that oh, I just love that idea of that being part of wellness, that being part of um, simplifying and lowering your stress and you know making building in that convenience um, is such a core part of us maintaining our wellness overall. So can you just share some of the things that you see homeowners get wrong when they go about building or renovating things that cause really big issues for their health and well-being? Obviously not think considering that 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 arrangement of rooms and the things that we were talking about is one, but I'm sure you've seen lots of mistakes and when you've walked into homes that are needing your help, you know, you can see why homeowners are struggling so much. What are some of the, 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 the mistakes that you see? Yeah, well, I mean, from the, from the health aspect, a, a lot of the big things coming up now are the air quality and the water quality issues. Uh, when it comes to air quality, this is such a big issue right now because our homes just are not, um, they're being built more tight, but, um, but they're not being ventilated properly. So we see a lot of issues when it comes to, uh, air quality in new homes. And that's, I mean, unfortunately that's common in most homes being built, especially in the U S um, probably elsewhere in the world too, but, uh, it is a big problem in the U S. So that's a big one. Um, but other like things that you don't consider quite as much is, as I mentioned, the lighting. So whether it's your natural light or artificial light, um, you know, if you're, say you have a home office, you work at home all day long, and you just have this glaring light coming into your office space all day, it's going to be really irritating and distracting, and you're not going to be very productive, you might get headaches. Um, so just thinking about things like that. Um, also with the lighting quality, it will really affect your sleep. So if you have poor artificial lighting in your house all day long and in the evenings, the, the type of lighting you're exposed to can really start affecting your sleep. And once you start affecting your sleep, so you're not getting good quality sleep, you're also becoming less productive during the day because you're just, your body's not recharging the way it needs to be at night. So that's a big one um, that, I mean, nobody really considers their artificial lighting and the kinds of the tones and um, levels that they are receiving. So that's that's pretty big. Um, also, the thermal, all the comforts. So there's thermal comfort, noise, and smells. And thermal comfort is definitely getting addressed more because we're, we're insulating our homes better. Um, 
But with the noise and the smells, we don't really think about how distracting that can be. And then we start living in a home that, you know, there's mechanical systems buzzing or the the HVAC system is just constantly making noise or constantly turning on and turning off. And it's just so distracting and it's interrupting the way you're trying to live in your home. And that's really taking a toll on your mental aspects and also physical so, yes, all those kind of things that are really um, have an effect that on typical homes that yeah, people just aren't thinking about. It's really happening. And I would say in the majority of the houses being built. So, And I think, too, people just have got so used to living that way. They're not aware of how much it's impacting, you know, the, their everyday life and their mood and their stress levels. And it's only until – I mean, I know I had the – we've lived in a lot of houses, um, particularly with renovating and renting and those types of things. And I look back at some of those houses and particularly when the kids were little and – I was so desperate to get out of them every day and and really hated coming home to them. And I remember there was two houses in particular that we rented that were terribly oriented, very dark during the day. And my core goal every morning was to get to the park with the kids. And and it was and and it was such a big ordeal because you know three kids under four trying to get out the door. Um, but it was the only thing that I, I kind of could maintain my sanity. And then it was like, oh come on, kids, we've got to go back home. And then we'd be sort of making some food, and then we'd be sitting out in the garden. So I couldn't get anything really done because I was either at the park or I was out in the garden with the kids. There was no ability to view out into the garden whilst I sort of did things inside. It wasn't a place I wanted to be. And and I didn't realize really, I knew at the time I had some level of knowledge as an architect that, you know, I knew the house was poorly oriented. We were renting it. So it was a short-term thing, but I didn't know until I was out of it, how significantly it was affecting my mental well-being every day and, and the things I had put in place to be able to contend with that. I know you've had some personal experience of this. You talk about, you know, can you tell us a bit, a little bit about your story of how this really came to light for you and made you aware that this is something that people really needed help with? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, actually, this is what really started my whole healthy home uh, journey was I was living, I was living in Colorado at the time, and we were renting a place. Uh, it was very, it was a small rental. It was cute little house, but, um, and it never really, I never noticed these things until I had my son. So I was, uh, we, you know, had an infant son and all of a sudden I was just so stressed out. Like everything in my life was stressful. The, the idea of like having all of a sudden a little infant to take care of a stressful job. And then I realized I had a really stressful home. <laughs> like the house itself was actually causing me stress. And it, it was every, in, it wasn't like, like I said, it was a cute house. There was nothing that in it that I like really noticed right away when I moved in that it was a bad thing. But once I started looking at what's causing all this stress, I noticed, you know, when I walk into the house, there was no entry. So I was walking in, I was seeing clutter here and there just because we didn't have a good organizational strategy where, uh, you know, mail was piling up on our coffee table and shoes were, you know, sometimes like right in front of the door when you're trying to come in or leave or whatever. So it was that those little things were just irritating. So I'd walk into my house and I'd feel agitated. And then I'd be, I'd, you know, I'd be carrying that agitation throughout my evening. And, um, you know, then you'd get beyond the entry and we'd in the kitchen. So I'm trying to create meals and it was a very tiny kitchen, very poorly laid out. Um, not much counter space, not much storage. 
and I just could not cook meals. Like it took, it would take me, you know, three times longer than it should because I was constantly moving things to, to make room for other things. Or I just, I couldn't function in it. So it ended up either me like walking in the door, I have to immediately go cook dinner because it was going to take me so long or we'd get takeout. So it was like, you know, and which obviously isn't super healthy. So there was all these little things, the way, you know, wasn't the heating system wasn't that great. So our house was, uh, the, the bedroom was freezing. So I'd always be uncomfortable when I was going to bed, I'd wake up and it was freezing. And just the, like, just like you said, those little things that you kind of get used to, but they really shouldn't be there. So once I realized that I can, you know, those little things were happening and they were causing stress in my life and with, you know, my new baby and husband, like there was just a lot of stress that this house was putting on us. And so I just started slowly making changes, like just the way I laid out my living room, I changed things around. So I had, a you know, create a little zones where I had a workout zone. I had create a little entry zone where our shoes were more organized. We had a place to put our coats and our mail. Um, adding a few things to the kitchen to to make it more useful, changing the lighting so the lighting quality was better, where it was more, you know, warm lighting in the evening, relaxing us, adding plants, like all these little things. And I was just doing it very slowly over time. And uh, then I was like, a couple months later, I was like, oh, this feels good. Like, <laughs> we actually felt we, like, all of us, we were happier. And I wasn't walking in the door feeling all stressed out. I was walking into a door and kind of just had a sigh of relief because it was clean and there was plants and life. And, and I knew I didn't have to run into the kitchen and start making dinner because I was able to prep stuff ahead of time because I had the space to do that. So it just, yeah, really, um, it changed my life in like such a dramatic way, which is so crazy to see these tiny little things that I was doing to my house and once I started doing that, I'm like, well, why aren't I doing this to all the other buildings that I'm creating? And that's what really spurred the whole um, wellness design and, yeah, getting into it. And also at the same time, I did discover the Well Building Standard, um, which is an international program that um, is a rating system for creating um, healthy buildings. And it's all about the occupants. So it's basically what I'm doing just for commercial buildings. And that all that combined was what really triggered and has gotten me into um, where I am now to help others do what I went through. (laughs) There's actually there's a saying in the online world that your mess becomes your message. And uh, (laughs) and uh, yeah, I think that your personal experience of these people, there'll be people listening going, she is describing my life, you know, and it's, it is, it's this. And what I love is that it was a rental property and you were still able to impact and create change that made a significant difference to how you could occupy that space and how you could feel and function as a family. So it's like, this is the thing. This is not something that needs a big budget. This just needs intention and, and a, and a level of knowledge for you to be able to create, you know, very small and incremental changes that just have this ripple effect on, you know, who you are as a person and how you sort of move through the world. So I love that, you know, thank you for sharing your personal story. And I thank you too, that, that you've turned that now into 
to how you can help others because um, because it's very clear that you have a lot of knowledge around this area. And so um, it's really, yeah, it's, it's fantastic that it's um, tried and tested personally for you <laughs> and you've seen the impact. And, yeah, I can attest to it too. It makes such a difference. So, And I'm thinking now about the entry into our house and how much I want to change it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I agree. We're doing a renovation of our current house and the same thing. Like I just keep thinking of new things that I want to be doing to uh to incorporate. So yeah. <laughs> so it's a process. It is a process, isn't it? And that's the thing, it's just being patient. I was um I was chatting to somebody last week and they were talking about the fact that we have this desire to get our houses done. Like it's this one stop, you know, end of the line thing. But when we're living in family homes for sometimes, you know, 10, 15 years and our family's needs change and, you know, there's ebbs and flows in who might be in the house and who's coming and going and what needs they might have, I feel our approach would be far better served if we built and renovated homes for flexibility and adaptability and looked to make them as beautiful as they can be for where we're at in our life and just accept that they might like there's actually no point where they're done and they're they're that you know if we sort of drop that whole desire to make them all magazine worthy and you know like some magazine publisher is going to walk in and want to photograph everything and just let them be these evolving beautiful stories and containers for our lives I think we take a lot of the pressure off of what they actually need to be and we can get much more focused on how they make us feel and function as a family so yeah exactly Do you find that uh, homeowners just assume that this is going to be more expensive than to, for them to have a house that supports their health and well-being? Yes, for sure. It is a major assumption. And just kind of like with, with green building, sustainable design, everybody assumes it's going to be more expensive. And it certainly can be for both of them, um, in, especially for health and wellness, because they hear that and they just think that they're either creating a spa or creating this, you know, super like like a hospital level, like clean home. And obviously that's not what we want at all. Cause that's not very comfortable. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it can be more expensive, but it certainly doesn't have to be. So I do talk about those with, with potential clients and, and yeah, just making sure that they know that it, so much of it is how the house is set up, how it's designed. So really, a lot of it's happening in the design process and that doesn't cost extra money in the, in the um, you know, the construction budget. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're making sure that we're laying the house out, right. That the, you know, if it is a small budget, maybe the house is getting a little bit smaller to make sure we can still incorporate the, the things that are a little bit more expensive, like the ventilation system um, or the healthy flooring, because that's a, that's a really important thing to be choosing. So, yeah, it's uh, you can very easily design a house for health and wellness without it costing extra money. And I, you know, like with energy efficient homes, I think soon, maybe not that as soon as we'd all like, but soon it will just be the norm. And so we're not going to be spending extra money because that's what all houses are going to be built like. So, uh, yeah, it can be done yeah. <laughs> with no extra money. I love it. A lot of homeowners find that then then where they go to find a contractor or a builder, it's an uphill battle because they're having to educate the contractor and the builder about why this has to be different, why it's not just 
going to be done in a customary way, the way that they've always done, and find that they're really, yeah, it's really a battle for them and that becomes very exhausting very quickly. How do you suggest homeowners go about finding uh, contractors that are going to support them in that process um, without it obviously then moving them right into a niche that's going to, you know, then drive up costs and those types of things? Do you have a process that you take homeowners through in sort of helping them find contractors in that way? Well, what I like to recommend is finding contractors that already are comfortable with the a sustainable design build, because then they'll already be familiar with how to properly construct a wall so that it's not leaking water and so that it is airtight and all those factors. They're where I like to start. Um, because of that baseline knowledge that they have that's, you know, of a, of a healthy home, finding a contractor that builds healthy homes is there. I mean, it's just such a new thing that it's not, they're not, there's not a lot out there. And especially like I live in a very small state, small town. So that, those resources aren't there. So it's about finding, um, finding an, a contractor that knows as much as they can to be beneficial. Um, and then also interviewing them is huge and asking them questions like, um, it, you know, just their understanding of healthy building materials, because that's, that's their, their big role is going to be selecting or purchasing the materials and then installing them. So if they're not comfortable with these, you know, possibly using products that they've never heard of before or sourcing these products that they've never had to find before, then the, the whole project could just, you know, not go well. And you might be switching contractors halfway through and that's not what we want. So just really working with a contractor as you're interviewing them, making sure that they're comfortable with source, sourcing products that they might not know where to get currently or, um, or they're not familiar with using. So that's a really big one that I focus on with, with choosing contractors. Yeah, that's great advice actually. And it's, um, I find that whenever I've spoken to somebody about the fact that they've, you know, they've taken the, the, the road of doing a sustainable home or a, a home that's been about health and wellness, they have, they've done a lot of research on the material choices themselves or they've worked with their design professionals to do that. And they're presenting that, that information to the contractor as part of the process of working with them to give them some assurity. Look, this has been researched. This is something that we can use. And yeah, it is. It's building that team, isn't it? And I think too, just finding yeah. a contractor who's willing to entertain that they might not know all of the information about this and they've got a really invested homeowner who's done a lot of research and this is really important too, like you're going to find certain contractors will just go, this is way too hard. And so mm-hmm. noticing those red flags early on and and paying attention to them and keeping looking for the contractor that goes, oh, wow, actually I've been wanting to learn more about this or I'm really interested and or no, this isn't something I've had experience with but I'm definitely willing to give it a try. So, yeah, I think that that's... They're, they're great tips. This has been so awesome, Kate. Thank you so much. You're just a wealth of knowledge, uh, both from an architectural point of view and definitely from a health and wellness point of view. I really encourage everyone to check out uh, Kate's website. I'll pop uh, resources in the show notes um, so that everybody can grab that information because it's just there's some fantastic information there about uh, designing different spaces in your room, choosing materials for your, for your home, really thinking about this approach overall. You also mentioned that you've got a resource for pay 
people who are thinking about this and yeah. the kinds of questions that they need to to think about when it's coming to building or, or remodeling in a in a from a wellness perspective. Do you want to just share that resource? Yeah, of course. So um, yes, I was, I'll I have put together a resource for the really the questionnaire that I start off all my clients with. So you can get an idea of the questions I ask for, um, you know, if you want to create your own healthy home, the things you that you want to be considering to make sure you're getting what you really want out of your home. And then also a list of questions to be asking your contractor to make sure that they're comfortable building a home that is going to meet your health and wellness needs. And you can get that. It's balancedhomebalancedlife.com slash undercoverarchitect. So you'll find that right there. That's awesome. And I'll make sure that there's a link for that on the blog and in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you about this stuff. I've learned so much and it's, uh, yeah, I know that our community will have as well. So really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Didn't you love that? Kate gave us some great tips and strategies there. And she's also going to be back next week on the podcast to give us a room by room rundown on how we can create a healthy home that supports our well-being. So make sure you tune in then. In the meantime, you can check out her special resource at www.balancedhomebalancedlife.com forward slash undercover architect. And I'll pop that link in the show notes and on the blog as well. So you can make sure you grab that. Now, next, I'd love to introduce you to Kyle Markt of Markt Architecture. After graduating with a degree in architectural engineering from Pennsylvania State University, Kyle Markt joined a green design build firm that specialised in energy consulting. He worked as an energy consultant for commercial buildings and new homes before becoming the lead residential designer and managing construction of several projects. In 2015, Kyle officially joined his father's practice to reinforce and add to Markt Architecture's capabilities and expertise in building science, construction technology, construction management, and residential design. This move was a return to when Carl first discovered architecture and engineering by working in his father's studio while studying at Penn State. Carl has decided there's no place he'd rather be than working with his father again to pursue their common vision for architecture, sustainability, and building science to translate each client's dreams to their fullest potential. Carl received his Certified Passive House Consultant Certificate in 2016, and he's been continually honing his learning and experience in passive house. Marked Architecture's goal is to do all passive house or all net zero projects. And uh, there's a couple of acronyms there. And Kyle's going to talk through some of that information in our interview. So you'll understand more about that. And Marked Architecture have currently got some of these projects in the works. Marked Architecture was formerly known as Paul Marked Architects, and it was founded in 1990 to provide architectural design services to clients seeking sustainable, energy efficient, healthy homes. Their goal with each new resident renovation or addition is to translate the client's dreams and needs into a design and structure that creates an enhanced and sustainable relationship to landscape and in the case of an addition to the existing structure. Passive solar design and a tight, well-insulated envelope help inform the design and construction detailing, sustainable materials, an energy-efficient heating and cooling system, good air quality. These are all incorporated into their environmentally sensitive designs. Kyle is super clever and he loves continually researching the improvements in sustainable design. So he still has loads of great advice to share in our interview and a really great way of breaking things down into a really understandable format. So let's jump into the interview now. 
So, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. It's fantastic to have you here. You and I have been interacting on email and social media for a while now, so I always love this opportunity to actually get a face to a name and have a voice and a conversation with uh, someone I've been interacting with online for a while. You are super passionate about uh, an environmental approach design. You've been very generous in sharing information with me to provide resources for members inside the Welcome Home course, and I love how you generously share what you're learning and what you're trying to do in your work. Uh, on the platforms that you use. What makes you so passionate about it? Why is this the avenue that you've chosen for your work? I was bred for this. Um, no, but in seriously, um, my dad, he really instilled this in me. Whether he tried to or not, I'm not really sure. Um, but he started all of this. He did passive solar design back in the, in the 70s and then started our firm, uh, which was Paul Macht Architects, as a passive solar design firm. And that was really the focus of the firm the whole time. So I grew up in a home with an HRV uh, back when I was 10 years old. We had an HRV and different types of heating systems and um, exterior insulation wrapping the entire house. And we, we took a lot of those concepts and applied it. Um, so I, I would, this is what I knew. And I never knew what a normal house was until really – a couple years getting into the industry, even all throughout college, all growing up, I knew the abnormal uh, style of construction and design. So That's fantastic. For the uninitiated, can you explain what an HRV is? Uh, sure. It's a heat recovery ventilator. And so that's a balanced ventilation system where the two air streams pass through a heat exchanger that recovers the heat uh, and now that we're on that topic, there's the ERV, which is more common nowadays, which also recovers humidity. And that membrane is just a little different in that heat exchanger, uh, usually some type of desiccant in there that can absorb and release moisture to the different airstreams. Your dad must have been a bit of a, a bit of a renegade to be putting systems like that into the house at that time. I find my, my experience is generally that people who are passionate about environmental design have come from, they've had the opportunity to live in an environment that works. You know, they've lived in houses that are, are designed to perform well based on their climate. And so they just, they can't see any other way but to build and design that way. And, uh, and it's, it's just lovely to hear that that's been your experience growing up and being part of, you know, as you say, you were bred for it. So <laughs> now, it's true. Yeah, yeah, so, so um, what kind of work then does Marked Architecture do in terms of where you work and the types and, start and sizes of projects that you work on? So for the past 20, so our, our firm is 28 years old. And so for the first 25 years of that, it was based out of Philadelphia. And the firm started with just my dad and I was a little kid at the time. And it slowly grew a couple employees here and there. Until about 2008, we had 12 employees, and I was an intern at the time. And that was sort of the pinnacle of Paul Macht Architects. And then with the, the housing uh, crisis here in the U.S., uh, we didn't mention that yet. I'm, I'm from the United States and yes. Pennsylvania. Um, and so the housing market crashed, and then my dad sort of let the firm die down with it a little bit. I was working elsewhere at the time. Uh, finishing up my master's degree and then working for another firm. And so during that whole process, he sort of just kept letting the firm die down. And then my wife got a job as a professor here in Rhode Island. So we moved out here and I said, Dad, you know, if we're ever going to make this work of owning the firm together, let's do it now. And so now we have an office in Rhode Island and an office in Pennsylvania, just him and I at the moment. 
Um, and we're telecommuting and I'm basically trying to manage all the computer stuff. He does a lot of the hand drawing and sketching. I do it too, but, um, that's sort of how we've been managing it. I've been managing projects in Rhode Island. He's been managing projects in the Philadelphia area. However, we've done projects basically from the Cayman Islands, which is islands off of Florida, all the way up to Maine, um, sort of the whole East Coast. We've never done anything west of the East Coast, um, but we've done uh, all up and down the East Coast, mostly Philadelphia area, a bunch of New Jersey, some in New York, um, but that whole range of projects. So, And everything from a, a birdhouse all the way up to um, multi, multi-million dollar uh, mansions. So, yeah, well, I can imagine with that many years of experience that, 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 you know, it's, it's such a lovely thing to think that, um, I mean, I think as a parent to have your child working with you is just, it would just be incredible, but also for you to be stepping into a business where there's that wealth of experience on the ground with somebody that you know, as well as you do to then be that shaping, you know, your work in that way as well. So it's such a, an awesome legacy in terms of how you guys have figured out a way to work together, even though you're not necessarily in the same office and to be able to. Maybe that helps. I'm not sure. Uh, and I can imagine that it enables you to serve your client base incredibly well as well. So with that sort of that variety of experience too. So now when you get asked about, you know, what is sustainable design with, you know, I've just done a massive season on the podcast about sustainable design. It gets defined in so many different ways. How do you define it when somebody asks you what sustainable design is? That's a great question. And to be honest, it depends on who's asking. Um, so I usually try to tailor that question based on my read of what the client, who the client is, and sometimes it's their financial, and then I can still steer them towards passive house or something like that. Um, that, that still can be the most economical decision, uh, for them in the long run. And I just need to tailor the argument that way. And then for the tree hugger, which I would consider myself definitely, um, th- then I can, I can, you know, focus on other things or if it's health related, then I can focus on those. If your their child has asthma or whatever it may be, my true definition of sustainability at this point is probably trying to get the lowest embodied carbon building that you can. And so that's what I've been focusing a lot of my time and, and energy on and understanding, reading as much as I can and learning as much as I can about, um, embodied carbon in buildings. And that's, to give a little background on what that means, it's all of the energy and more so from the carbon equivalent of carbon dioxide emitted into the atmosphere, all of that tied up into what makes the building and then in the energy use of that throughout the building's lifetime. So when you sum all that up, it can be astronomical. Even a passive house could be astronomical depending on how you do it. Um, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot of different ways to accomplish the same goal. And there's ones that require a lot of, uh, embodied carbon in the structure. And then there's ones that can be done where it could actually be negative, where you're storing more carbon in that structure than you are, uh, you know, expelling it. So that's, I guess what sustainability has come down to for me is fitting within the environment and not destroying it and helping it. Um, and doing right by the homeowner. Yeah, well, I, it's actually, you know, as a, as a side note, I think that I remember seeing a talk at the American Institute of Architects conference uh, in New York last year, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, we, we're focusing on 
home's energy use um, and buildings energy use as um, and putting a dent in we're trying to manage and minimize the amount of energy that homes use um, as a means of meeting environmental targets but in terms of the time frames for when those environmental targets are they're too soon to see that the the dent that we need to make and what these speakers were actually putting forward was that where the where the true impact will get made at the moment for uh, in order for us to meet those targets is in the materials is in the the construction and and the the materials that we're using so they were talking a lot about those embodied energy the embodied carbon and making choices around those types of materials so that you can lower the embodied energy in a building and then think about its long-term energy use as well because yeah they were basically saying that we don't really have a chance of meeting those targets unless we focus on the material side we may not have a chance either way but (laughs) (laughs) i try to be the optimist um but yeah you're exactly right the numbers that i've seen is by 2050, if we're not all carbon neutral in our buildings, we're basically done for. And that's just looking at the building side of things, which is a huge percentage, um, depending on how you calculate it, but you know, either a third or half, um, depending on if you're including facilities and manufacturing. Um, but it, it's, it's a super critical and energy efficiency only goes so far. Um, and when you start looking at it, the broader picture of how do you keep the, the planet warming two degrees Celsius, that's where embodied carbon becomes so critical. And it's really not just if you do a low embodied carbon building and you're getting to the point where, let's say, every single building in the entire on the entire planet converts over to a passive house. We're still done for. You need to actually absorb more carbon from the atmosphere and store it in some way. So there's been a lot of proposals for storing it in buildings through wood structures or straw bale or whatever it may be. Uh, there's a lot of uh, hempcrete's another example of one, um, but there's a lot of different materials where you could actually be absorbing it and storing it into your building. That being said, I've not had a client yet where we've actually focused on that in the design. We're usually focusing on whatever their needs are, their desires, and trying to push for passive house or trying to push for sustainability in some way. Um, the, the low carbon thing I'm pushing for our future of our company um, and I, we signed up recently for the AIA 2030 uh, commitment. Um, so that's the idea behind that is net zero by 2030. I'm hoping that we can do that a lot sooner than that. But our clients need to be also on board, which means I need to market that uh, as much as I can. So, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's super it's a- it is. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? It's that lag between how we've always done it and what 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 the industry is sort of built up to deliver with efficiency and in a cost effective way with what it needs to be, and the fact that we're sort of behind the eight ball on the fact that it needed to be this a while ago, and you know that 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 delay in that market acceptance. And I found I have found in inter- the interviews I've been doing as part of the Simple Guide to a Sustainable Home season on the podcast is there's there are there these, you know, advocates like yourself, like the builders and the designers that I've met um, and other professionals who have made it a personal commitment. It's not just about a professional thing. It's not about a marketable difference. It's actually like a personal passion and belief and, you know, almost moral compass to how the fact that this is what we need to do on a day-to-day basis in how we practice 
in order for this to have any kind of, uh, I suppose, sustainable meaning and difference in the industry that we practice in. And so, yeah, I think it's fantastic that you've li- like put a drawn a line in the sand basically and said this is what we want our business to be. And then we, we now need to go about that process of educating the client as to why this is different. And obviously then finding that like-minded industry community who can help your client then deliver those outcomes without it becoming, you know, overcomplicated for them. So question, I find that standard thing for a lot of homeowners is, you know, I want to do a sustainable design. I want to do a sustainable renovation or build. I just get told it's going to be 10 to 15% at least more expensive, often considerably more. I can't afford to increase my budget. You know, what do I, what do I do? How do you, you mentioned some of the things that you sort of say to you gauge where people's mindset is at when they come to you with sustainability, but what do you do in terms of saying to people, look, compelling them to actually get on board this train and say, you know, let's, let's think about how we spend our budget and how we go about doing this. Yeah, it's a tricky one because I get that with almost every single project I've ever been a part of. It's just the, the budget gets stretched and they want to do budget cuts. And sometimes the builder's saying, what is all this crazy insulation that you're putting in there? Or, you know, why can't I just use um, more spray foam or I want to use this or use that? And it's like, ah, can we just, you know, and so it's an interesting discussion that needs to be had. And ultimately, you got to have the homeowner sit down and think about what's the goal here. Is the goal just to get the pretty box? Um, and sometimes it is. And you know what? If it is, we'll do what we can. We don't like going below a certain standard in terms of efficiency. Even if it's not their home for the next, say they live there seven years, eventually somebody else gets that home. And our clients, they're the ones that hired us. But at the same time, my moral compass is saying this needs to be right for that future client as well. And I want to make sure it's durable and it's going to last for a long time. And so uh, ultimately, you have to have the homeowner understand what they're doing, why they're doing it. And, and I try to just give them the best knowledge that I can and let them make the decision for themselves, but maybe nudge them a little bit. Um, so it's it's a really difficult decision. And most of the time, I haven't had a client yet that came to me that says, oh, I want to you know, I, I know what passive house is. Let's do that. You know, all the time it's, what is that? I've never heard of that. And hopefully through this and through others, that'll change. Um, but it, it's still, it's hard to push. And that's part of the reason why I, I have the Instagram account and I've more than willing to talk about this uh, for yourself or for whoever is to try to promote it as much as I can, not for my own business. Yes, that's a great side uh, factor there, but try to just spread the word out there that we can do better as a society. Yeah, it's um, it it it's one of those things, isn't it? You just um, I'm finding that sharing more information about it with the UA community. I've had people get in touch with me and say, "Oh gosh, now I know this. How do I go back? How do I go?" And I'm like. Well, that's the thing. That's what I'm hoping you'll say because you'll realize there's a better way. There's like, it's that thing of in everything that we teach as industry professionals, it's that thing of like, there is a better way. We don't have to just 
be delivered what is sort of standard. Isn't it so much easier just to be naive though and yeah. not know, you know, and pretend like you don't know that? I know. <laughs> it, I know. It's hard. It is. It's you can't unknow it once you know it. So, but I mean, I know we've personally been experiencing in a lot of parts of Australia such extreme temperatures this summer that at some point you have to realize this isn't, it's not like it's going to change without us changing. And hopefully through these platforms, we can really educate people that this is something that has a lot of benefit, not just, and it's not, it's not always going to be about spending extra money. I know that there can be an initial resistance for a lot of people that they go, well, why do I have to be the one that has to spend this extra money in order to save you know the planet save everyone else save you know why do I, why does it have to come out of my hip pocket one the other thing that i do definitely push is to not think about initial costs only because the the monthly costs are really what matter and so if you look at durability uh, your mortgage plus um, utility bills if you add all that up together that's what uh, passive house was designed for now not phi but passive house us um, but so the passive house United States, we call it Theus, um, broke off in 2015 and created their own uh, version of passive house. It's basically the same criteria, but the analysis was done just slightly differently and it was climate specific. And so if you look, uh, I sent a map to you earlier and maybe that's something that could be shared on the show notes. Definitely. Um, but it's a climate map um, looking at all the climates across the globe. And so if you look at Germany, where the standard was created and what it was made for, it's pretty similar to most of Europe. Uh, there's some differences, but they've got pretty nice weather in Europe. Uh, you have very nice weather in Australia as well. So a little warmer. Um, the only comparison in the United States to Australia that I saw was in some parts of Texas and a little bit of Florida. Uh, but I believe Florida is more humid. Um, so it, most of the U.S., the, if you look at that map, the U.S. has this big black box over uh, a good portion of it. And I do a bunch of projects in that black box where you have high heating degree days, high cooling degree days, and high humidity. So it's sort of every possible climatic condition that you need to fight against for a building. And so when FIAS broke off, the main reason for that is because the German standard didn't really work in our climate zones. Our heating and cooling um, was too extreme for their analysis. So we, we were putting in way more insulation in the roof than was probably necessary just to meet the standards because the heating and cooling design loads were difficult to meet because it got so cold and it got so warm in the U.S. climate zones. Um, so that's where FIAS decided to create their own climate basis for the numbers to hit. Um, and so if you are in the southern climates of the U.S. that are more similar to Australia's uh, comfort zones, it's actually a little harder to meet than the passive house guidelines in Germany. Okay. But if you're in the northern climates, they have way more lenience because it's so much more difficult to meet that heating standard. Uh, in the European model, their main goal for some of this was to try to combine the heating and ventilation systems um, in the U.S., that's much harder to do because we have such a higher need for the heating. So the ductwork size for that heating needs to be much greater. So a lot of times you see for the passive house projects in the U.S., they've got a mini split on the wall and then a ducted system for the ventilation. And that's what does the air mixing. Um, and, the, and that's also what does the filtration. So that tends to be a common system. That's what I'm usually specifying in our projects. Um, but that's sort of 
that's where the two systems broke off from one another. The other thing that FIAS included in their analysis was what's the most cost-effective way to get to net zero, um, where you're producing enough power or producing enough energy for your home. Now, they've got a little bunch of caveats in there, too, to make sure that durability is still a front concern and resilience. So if you lose power for a week, your home will stay semi-comfortable and livable. Um, from a safety standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, uh, especially in the whole Midwest right now where they're having extreme cold and potential power outages. If they have a power outage, a passive house is going to be able to coast pretty well through that. Um, so it, passive house U.S., PHI, similar similar programs, but passive house U.S., they decided to go climate specific. And they're global, not just U.S., of course, everything that the U.S. says is global is all just U.S.-based mostly. <laughs> um, but it, ultimately, there are other countries adopting the FIAS standard instead of just the PHI standard. Oh, wow. It was, uh, And I will pop that a link to that uh, map that you shared with me in the show notes because, uh, yeah, I looked at it and my research of U.S. climates as part of creating the Welcome Home course was I was quite shocked at just this extreme range of temperature that, was occurring in various locations, um, you know, so those extreme cold days, sometimes snow, right through to very hot temperatures in, in summer and and just how a house is then going to be able to create comfort year-round without you needing to constantly have an air conditioning system running. So I think it's great to know that the passive house system has been adapted to suit those specific uh, climate situations in the states, and um, and that that's obviously a resource that homeowners can use. Um, it's taking it at a whole different level, and it's looking a much longer term view. And that's why I think it worked so well in Europe, is because they have a much longer term view. In the U.S., people move every seven years on average, which blows my mind, and it shouldn't because I've moved every like two or three. Um, but I'm, you know, still younger than some. Um, but so it, it's, it's interesting. I think we need to have a longer term thought process on what we're making and what we're designing and building. No, I totally agree. I think that, um, rather than thinking about the home, I mean, well, I, my, a, lot, a lot of the people in the UA community, they're creating their long-term or forever family homes. And so they tell me that they are wanting to create something that, you know, they'll see their kids through school and off to college and coming back with their own children. But yet the stats say that we are moving. I mean, Australians are similar. We're moving every seven years. Um, and so it is that we that that balance that we have to I suppose have between um, how do we create homes that think about the fact that they're they're standing there for you know decades and that this has a long term impact not just on us but on anybody else that you know comes along. So what's weird is they're not necessarily standing there in the U.S. every seven or longer than the seven years. A lot of them are being redone, and so some of that's because of failure and. Um, that makes another interesting debate. Stucco failure was a huge problem here in the U.S., and that's because of not understanding how moisture and, and vapor and and all of the different building science physics, mostly it's to do with flashing and just moisture just being absorbed into the building right into the structure. Um, sort of simple stuff from a building science perspective, but still interesting. Uh, but it's it's interesting. There's been a, so many so many of our projects are small additions and renovations, not new builds. And so that side of it, you know, we, we come into 
you know, let's encourage them to resurface the exterior of the building so we can wrap in rigid insulation and then add some new windows um, and really increase the performance and the um, durability of the home. But, you know, that's a tough sell sometimes. Sometimes they only have the money for the addition that they really want. And, you know, it's like, okay, let's do a great addition. Here's this small appendage on the side of this ridiculously inefficient home. And it's, that's also a hard sell. We, we have that discussion all the time with clients of, well, the rest of my home's you know, not like this. Do I really need to live up to that standard? Uh, maybe, you know, somebody else down the line might want to resonate the rest of your home. I know you don't care about that, but so it's, you know, that's a tricky one too. And sometimes the clients do go for wrapping the whole home and resurfacing it. So it's, it is, it is hard. (laughs) And it is, you can, you can totally get where they're coming from. You know, it's that thing of, I mean, you and I were talking before we jumped on, we've both doing our, you know, our own homes to, and, and so we understand that economic prioritization of what you're doing and, and where the money's going to make the most sense to invest. So, um, and yeah, my home is, 20 to 30 times leakier than some most of my projects so like you know it is what it is and with that's that's with some air sealing already happening we already air sealed the rim and band joist around the basement and then the top plates everything in the attic um so with that all air sealed we're still like 20 times leakier than yeah. some of the projects i'm doing so it's, uh, and right here my so another point that I wanted to bring up, thermal comfort, that's another huge one that I try to sell a client on is the human body feels comfort in many different ways. And for those who really want to dive into this, I can't recommend the Building Science podcast enough. Um, and I hope to be, they recorded me for a podcast as well. So maybe I'll be on there soon. Um, I've, I've been, we now hired them as our mechanical designer for some of our projects, but they have a fantastic podcast that really gets into some of the nerdiness that I love, but they're always able to bring it down to a a good level. But so anyway, they did a whole podcast on the human and how we perceive comfort. And so it's like, oh, so there's the, you know, the five senses totally wrong. There's like 27 senses or I I have no idea what the actual number is, but it's way, way more. You know, we, we know, you know, what, what up and down is, we know balance, we know, um, we, we know way more different senses. We know equilibrium. We can sense pressure in our ears. So there, there's a lot of different senses out there. So from thermal comfort standpoint, air temperature is sort of what we always go to. Forget relative humidity or how many grains of moisture in the air. Um, but let's set it to 68 or 70 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like 23 or something Celsius. Um, but that's only a small percentage of what we're feeling mean radiant temperature or mean radiant surface temperature is another huge factor. And so that's what I'm currently feeling in my ridiculously inefficient home right now is my single pane window that you can't see on the other side. It's absorbing my heat through radiation. It's just pulling the heat right out of my face. And so I feel that discomfort. Luckily, I have a mini split right over there that's blowing heat on my face to try to counteract that. But that's one thing that a passive house is extremely focused on is let's make sure that all surface temperatures within the building are above a certain threshold. That way there's never any possible condensation or moisture that can develop inside or in the envelope or on the envelope. That way 
you can actually turn your temperature down because you don't need to set it to 72 to sort of feel comfortable because your walls are at 60. Um, and so that's what 18 Celsius, something like that. Um, but that mean radiant surface temperature is a huge factor. And that's why passive houses are so much more comfortable than the typical home is because of those surface temperatures are kept and it's easy to keep them because of the insulation and then the air sealing. Um, so that's a, that's another big side of it. Um, there's also convection, a whole bunch of other science that goes into it, but air temperature and surface temperature, those are the two big ones that, uh, surface temperature is often forgotten about. And then humidity level is often forgot about as well. And that's super critical, not quite as much where I'm at, but down in say Texas or possibly in Australia, um, humidity control is way more critical and that's where mechanical systems really come in and are really super important. So, oh, Kyle, honestly, you are just this encyclopedia. <laughs> Knowledge is just brilliant. This is, I spent <laughs> half of my time researching and the other half marketing and administration. And then I try to fit in the design time. You know, for the best of but. Is there anything else that you would really like homeowners to understand? Because this is the thing, like the builder will deliver up. Um, without not meaning to be shoddy or anything like that, but they will deliver up what is pretty much standard in the industry, what what is. And so it's like that builder that you said, you know, the client won't pay any more for it. This is what we've always done. This is just how it happens. How do you suggest homeowners deal with, um, apart from finding the right people to work with, they're going to obviously meet opposition along the way. So how do you suggest that without them getting completely downtrodden, demoralized, you know, fed up going, I just want to get a house. Why does this have to be so hard? How do you suggest that they go about staying committed to the path of creating their sustainable home? Yeah. So, uh two answers that I want to say to that question. The one is sort of the person looking for a home instead of just designing and building a new one. The biggest thing is ask for it. Ask for what's the her score or uh, is this a, is this an energy finite, uh, energy efficient structure? Can I get the utility bills for what it was? Oh, those seem high. Uh, talking about it, get real estate agents. I don't know how it is in Australia. Real estate is a big problem in the US in terms of they're only designed to look at low cost. And so that's another big problem with passive house right now is the uh, appraisers won't appraise a passive house because they have to use comps in the area, uh, comparable homes, and it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's not a comparable home. It's an extraordinary home basis based on a throwaway home. You know, it's, it's a totally different concept. So without homeowners actually asking questions and starting to ask for better and ask for more, you're not going to get it. And I find it funny, another tangent, sorry. Um, it, one really cool thing that's happening is all the low income new housing in New York City is almost all going passive house. And they have incentives there to do so. And so I find it hysterical that the poor or the lowest earning uh, besides the homeless, I guess, are living in better standards than the rich millionaires that can afford whatever they want. They just don't know about the higher quality of living that you can get with a passive house. So super, super important to ask and demand more. And without doing that, the industry won't change. And that's unfortunate. So keep asking. 
if you have control over it and you are doing your your own project, um, don't settle for whatever they say, they meaning the unqualified builder or the architect that doesn't know better, unfortunately. Um, don't settle for less than something like passive house or zero energy ready. You know, have them meet that certification. In in my scenario, I am knowledgeable in this and this is what I love and this is what I do. So I know all of the ins and outs of how to achieve a building or a, a home specifically that's really high quality without having to get certified. Um, but the clients don't necessarily know that. They have to take my word for that. So I would always encourage get the certification because then you know that it's being verified by a third party. So say, you know, architect, they don't know what they're doing. Builder, they don't know what they're doing. Hey, I want a passive house. Do it. And I want it certified. And if you get it certified, you know it's being, you know, checked and then you're getting what you want. And for us, I would say even zero energy ready, that's been taking on like wildfire. It Passive houses too, but they always report their data in square footage. Um, so of course, when you get a bunch of multifamily projects <laughs> being thrown in here, it's exponential growth. Um, so if you, you know, report number of projects, it's still exponential growth, but it's a little different. Um, so I, that would be my main thing and not think longer term. Don't think upfront costs, think about monthly costs. And if you can think about long-term costs and don't just do the 15 year analysis or even the mortgage analysis of a 30 year, which is typical here in the U S um, I would love to take it more because the insulation is going to be there more than 30 years. The wood structure or whatever it's made of is going to be more than 30 years. So do the analysis correctly. Um, it's hard. It's hard to do. It's different. It's not normal, but just ask for more, ask for better. And without demanding that you're never going to get it. And so I want to deliver more. Yeah, it's uh, and I can tell I, I can uh, I mean your passion for this is um, like tangible, and I am so I'm just so chuffed that there are people like you in this industry who have a bigger game to play than this just being about you you know designing houses making your bottom line work that this is actually for you you're on a mission it's very clear you're on a mission and i love that you've committed your business goals to it um and you know and uh your sense of purpose and your education and all those types of things so i can't thank you enough for sharing all of this wisdom and knowledge and expertise with us uh very very grateful thanks so much kyle absolutely now i really hope that you enjoyed that chat with kyle i find that when i personally first start researching, you know, the science of sustainability and building and renovating and what I know in the US is called building science and what we call in Australia, you know, environmentally sustainable design. It can it can actually get quite involved and super technical and a little bit overwhelming, but Carl's really able to distill it into what's important and relevant so that we can know how to apply it. I really want to thank both of my guests on this episode for being so generous with their advice and knowledge. Now, if you'd like to hear more from Kate on a room-by-room guide to creating a healthy home, make sure that you tune in next week for that episode and we'll be having that chat then. In the meantime, head to the show notes uh, or this blog on Undercover Architects website and I've got their links on how you can find Kate and Kyle, how you can get in touch with them wherever you're based and how you can check out some of their websites and resources and I'd really love it if you can reach out and thank them if you enjoyed the interview. I know my guests always love hearing feedback about how their knowledge has helped you. 
Now, if you're thinking about renovating or building your family home, you're already researching and planning, or you're even in the design stages, you're going to want to check out the online courses I have called How to Get It Right in Your Reno or New Home and the Welcome Home course. So How to Get It Right is tailored for Australian homeowners. And in the Welcome Home course, I team up with award-winning American architect, Eric Reinholdt, to create a specific course for American homeowners. Both courses They take you through my step-by-step system from the very start to the very finish of your renovation or building project. And I'll explain a bit more about that in a minute. Look, as Undercover Architect has grown as an online business, I really love being able to reach and connect with homeowners from all corners of the globe. I've got almost 25 years industry experience in design, building and renovating in Australia. And what I've found is that this step-by-step system of mine for any renovation or new building project, the one that I've been using in client projects and in my own projects for all of that time, when I actually teach this system to you, you like... What I see time and time again is how it can help you as a homeowner save time, money and stress in your project. And so that's what these courses do. When you have the steps to follow, the map for your journey ahead, you can then move confidently towards that future home that you're dreaming of and not waste any time or money. When you know that that step-by-step system has been created over decades of experience in hundreds of hundreds of family homes like yours, you can save so much stress in your project and create a home that works and feels great. And when you have the steps, as well as the professional know-how, design knowledge, tools, resources, and guides, you can seriously shortcut your journey. You can enjoy your experience and you can avoid the heartache and drama so many endure. If you're keen to make your journey simpler, be confident in the home that you're creating is actually achievable and know the steps to get you there. These online courses are the way. In them, I've literally packaged up what is in my head and my heart from almost 25 years experience to show you the way to your future family home. Do you want to learn more about the courses? Well, if you're an Aussie, if you're an Australian homeowner, head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash get it right. And if you're an American homeowner, head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash welcome home and you'll be able to find out all the information about each of those courses there. And I've got a special bonus for the gorgeous UA community podcast listeners. This is the first time I've ever done this actually. Just use the code podcast, all right, the word podcast. You have to type it in to the coupon code when you go through and buy. You'll immediately access $50 off, okay? So you'll get a $50 saving when you use the coupon code podcast. So those links again are Australians, undercoverarchitect.com forward slash get it right and Americans undercoverarchitect.com forward slash welcome home. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.